Hello, hello, hello. Good day and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony Giacchettino. And I wanted to thank all of you, as I, I try and do, for listening in to me. I see we've gotten some new listeners, or at least one from Thailand. And uh, welcome, welcome to After School History. I love seeing um, on my analytics chart, um, you know, the flags of countries all over the world popping up. Um, it, it really makes me smile, and I'm happy. And I really hope that, especially now, at all times, but especially now, at a time when most of the world is, is you know, being, being kept indoors, um, I'm hoping that I am least able to provide a half an hour, 40 minutes or so of enjoyment to your life the, uh, once a week, or, or more as the case may be. Um, but, you know, please stay safe wherever you are out there, all of my beloved fans. Um, and today I wanted to talk about something um, that is as near and dear to my heart as anything else, and that is the subject of cars. Cars. Uh, right now I know some of you have Gary Newman's song playing in the back of your head right now. Um, you know, fantastic song. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about cars because I've been in love with cars since I was little. Um, I've always appreciated them. I haven't understood them my whole life. I was a latecomer to the idea of understanding exactly what happens under the hood, um, the history of them. You know, I, I took it. The first car that I ever had, uh, you know, was, was a hand down. It was from my father. It was a 1990 Pontiac uh, Grand Am. With the black vinyl uh, roof, it was silver, and it was a sharp car, let me tell you, it was a sharp car. And, I, you know, since then, I've just, I've loved cars, and I've always been a fan of them. And unfortunately, because of my uh, financial situation, I've been always, and by that I just mean I'm not rich, I haven't always been able to have the cars uh, that I want, uh, that I desired. Um, and, you know, one of the things I've always joked around about with friends of mine, they're like, don't worry, one day, you know, when, when you're older, you have to retire, you know, kids are in college, uh, all the debts are paid off, you'll be able to get a car. And I was like, yeah, but who the hell wants it then? You know, I mean, <laughs> seriously, who wants to have a Porsche 911 when you're 70 years old and, uh, you know, slamming the gas pedal down is as likely to give you a heart attack as it is to enthrall you. No, no, no. We want those cars now. We want them when we're younger. We want them not too young. Not too young because, unfortunately, youth uh, has a way of overdoing things. And I know this personally. Uh, <laughs> having had friends that have, that have made, made a complete mess of things with cars that were way out of what they should have been driving... But, you know, when you talk to those of us who are of a certain age, as I am, we want these cars. We want these fast cars. We want these cars. We want to be able to breathe it. You know, we want to be able to, to feel the car as we slam into a turn. You know, that's what we want. We don't want to wait until we're old. And, uh, you know, I believe it's Sir William Lyons, who was one of the founders of well, personally, one of the, the, the automobile companies that I've always had a tremendous respect for and loved their cars um, from the time when they were called the SS, um, you know, a Jaguar. Uh, originally, they were called SS, 
uh, after World War II, uh, the name SS, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure many of you uh, who have had any rudimentary uh, history learning know this, but the name SS kind of fell out of favor, especially in England. Uh, they changed the name to Jaguar. Uh, and uh, from that point on, you know, they, they went under Jaguar. But their, their cars have been uh, stunning, stunning cars, and continue to this day. You know, they had a bit of a lull at one point, but they continue to this day as phenomenal cars. I, I'm tr- I, you know, I've always loved them. Uh, I'm more of a fan of the classics. I'm more of a fan of, of the old school, the XK120 and, and stuff, E-type. But, you know, all, all of them. And there's so many cars. There's so many things. And, I, you know, it all really goes back to uh, the beginning. And uh, let's, let's take a little journey back to the beginning. The beginning was that eventually there came the idea that you could use what we call an internal combustion engine to power a vehicle, a carriage, as it were. A horseless carriage. Uh, you detach it, and then you drive. And, you know, there were people that did this on, uh, you know, for fun, for fun and games, uh, you know, on the side, and tinkered with it. Uh, but eventually what happened was you had the first, the first real cars come out um, in the late uh, 1800s. And in the late 1800s, you had a bunch of different people uh, competing back and forth uh, for who was going to have the first car. You know, what was going to be considered the first car? You know, how, how are we going to do this? Um, and, you know, eventually what happened was <clears throat> you had uh, in uh, Germany, okay, uh, you had a vehicle that eventually would go by the names of the Mercedes-Benz, okay? And Mercedes-Benz, you know, there was a a vehicle uh, drive by them, and it was the first real car, okay? The first real car. Um, Now, what happened was, uh, over time, there was a tremendous amount of competition to see who could put Vehicles that got, you know, that, that had increased horsepower, increased torque. Horsepower, by the way, the pull of the car over, over time by the engine. Torque is the immediate get-go. Uh, but Mercedes-Benz is generally recognized as having put forward the first car, what we consider an automobile. Now, it, it, it's, it's amazing, and on a podcast, there's no real way to convey this to you. Uh, but if you go and you look up the original Mercedes-Benz, just go look up, you know, first car, Mercedes-Benz. There's no roof. There's no doors. Nothing. Nothing that would... It, it, was, it was the most basic of things. But it was the first time that you had an engine driving a vehicle. And that pretty much consigned uh, horse, the, 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 you know, horse-drawn carriages uh, to the abyss. Because after that, it was simply a matter of, okay, how can we make this faster, better, and whatnot? And cars from that point on uh, just took on, a, took on a life of their own. Took on a life of their own. Um, and there are a couple of major eras of cars that I wanted to talk about right now. So the first major era of cars, and, and this is something, again, 
you know, I was unaware of for years growing up. But then, of course, as I got older and I, I started looking into it, I was like, well, you know, let me educate myself about this. So you had cars, you had a couple of different, what we call eras of cars. So the first era that we talk about would be the veteran era, okay? And the veteran era was from the dawn of cars uh, up until the very early 1900s, around 1905. And uh, veteran cars, there are so, so very few of them left out there. Um, you know, these, these were cars designed by independent, you know, companies, there were so many of them out there at the time. There were guys doing work, putting a car together, uh, you know, literally in their garage. Um, you know, fantastic stuff uh, because they understood the, the possibilities here. And you didn't really have roads, as it were, because there's no need for roads, nothing mobile. You had these, you know, uh, horse-drawn pathways going from one place to another. Yeah, they were roads on a technical level. Uh, they weren't concrete. They weren't asphalt. They weren't anything of the likes, you know. And so these vehicles had to be able to put up with this. And with most of these early, early cars, um, they were, they were, I don't want to say one-offs because they weren't, okay. Um, there were cars that were designed um, and that, that were, you know, in, in some ways, almost mass-produced, okay? Uh, you, could, you could come up with that. Um, but the bottom line is that most of them were kind of designed by individual companies, and they were put out there for people that were willing to pay ridiculous amounts of money for it, okay? Lots and lots of money. Um, one of the cars... Uh, that probably was was different than them was what we'd call the Oldsmobile Curve Dash. Now, those of you listening to this, if you're under the age of 30, you don't know what Oldsmobile is. For those of you over the age of 30, unless you're much older than the age of 30, uh, Oldsmobile is kind of this car for senior citizens to buy when they'd come to the end of things. But Oldsmobile back in the day and for, for many, many years was one of the most pioneering companies as far as cars go. And what happened was uh, Ransom E. Olds founded the, the, the Olds Motor Vehicle Company, which became known as Oldsmobile. And they created a car known as the Curve Dash. This was the first mass-produced car before Ford's Model T. Okay, Before the Model T. Uh, this is the first mass-produced car. But it was different than the Model T because it was basically you sat on top of the car, okay? You sat on top of the car. Um, there, there were, again, no doors. Uh, you didn't have a steering wheel. You basically had a large, you know, lever which you moved left and right. Um, cars could take several minutes to get started up. You had to, you know, make sure that the spark on it was, was at a certain level. Make sure the fuel mixture was in there. Um, you know, oil was dripping through. It was so many different things. It wasn't like today's cars where you just turn the ignition. You don't even have to turn the ignition. That's, that's fast becoming an antiquated statement. Nowadays, you just push a button uh, and the car fires up. But back then, you had to do this. But it was, it was a start, and it was for the first time where cars could, you know, people could, could drive somewhere. They didn't have to have a horse. They could just get on the road. And mind you, there were no, there were no gas stations anywhere. 
you had to really plan out a trip because you didn't know it was going to, you know, if you were going to be able to, what happens if you run out of fuel? You're not going to be able to get any of that. What happens if your tire busts? You're not going to be able to get anything with that. So you had this, uh, you know, this car period that lasted up until about 1905 or so. And what really happened after then uh, was that you had cars like the steam cars, okay, that came in, which by the way, steam cars today would still be a phenomenal thing. I mean, they're still fantastic vehicles. um, But what really started happening was you started having technology developing, okay? Cars basically started becoming something that were, were solidified, okay? Uh, and by that, I mean the, the way that you built them, all right? Um, and in the United States, we had something uh, called the high wheel. And the high wheel was a car with, you know, it looked basically like something. If you ever see any carriages drawn by a horse, the high wheels... You'll notice that that was that was what happened. I'm personally a huge fan of them. One of my dreams one day is to be able to own one, um, an authentic one from the time period. I don't know that I ever will. Um, they fell out of fashion once the Model T came out uh, from Ford, but for a while they were really you know they were they were the creme de la creme. Uh, the car is called Runabouts. You know they were two seaters, um, no windshields. Uh, most of them didn't even have, uh, you know, a, a roof. You know, later additions came with the ability to put on a roof. But what really, really changed everything was the Model T, um, Henry Ford's Model T. The Model T was the game changer because, number one, it came out at a price that everyone could afford. And it, by everyone, I mean, obviously not everyone, but what I mean by everyone is that uh, if you had a job, if you're a working man in America, you could buy a Model T, okay? Uh, by the way, Model Ts, if you ever really want to have some fun, go online, go to the YouTube, and YouTube up uh, starting and driving a Model T. It is so very different than what we do today. I, it's just unbelievable um, especially the ones with the crank at the front, um, you know, the Tin Lizzie, as they were called, uh, famously coming in black. Why black? Well, because, uh, the black that they had, uh, as the story goes, dried quicker than any of the other colors. And therefore, uh, they were able to put more out. And Harry Ford, a bit of a genius there. You know, the, the assembly line, I always talk about this when I teach, uh, you know, the, the, the early 1900s, 1920s. Um, the idea of the assembly line, you know, again, most cars at that point, you'd come in to Ashitino Motors Incorporated and be like, all right, I would like an Ashitino Phaeton. And I would say, of course, come back in a month. And then what would happen is me and a couple of guys would basically build your car from scratch. Um, and the problem with that was, number one, it's, it's obviously very expensive because we're all working on that car or, or a couple of cars, so we have to charge a lot of money to make it worth our while. But also because <clears throat> issues such as economies of scale, the idea that you, know, you, 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 can, 
you, you can use the same parts. You can buy them in large amounts. I mean, we'd be making this, you know, with one-off pieces sometimes. Um, it'd be unique. There's no question about it. And I don't mean every car was made completely one-off, but the bottom line is that what Henry Ford's idea was that, you know, we could just have it where cars are coming down the assembly line and we could just, you know, that's it. We'll just have one car coming off. I think at one point it was every 15 minutes or something like that. I mean, it was ridiculously fast. And the workers didn't have to know how to build the entire car. They didn't have to be that comprehensive. All they had to know is, okay, here comes the next chassis. I'm putting the tires on the left side and I'm bolting them in. Okay, done, done and done. So when you have that, you have the ability to have workers putting these cars out very quickly. And that was what happened with Ford. His famous comment, uh, quote, you know, my customers can have their Model T in any color they want, as long as the color they want is black, okay? But the Model T became kind of the symbol uh, for, you know, American industry. It became the symbol for technological innovation. People could now travel. People could travel places they never would have been able to travel before. And again, the, the knockoff effect to the economy, because nothing exists independently, the knockoff effect is that it created tremendous growth in jobs. Because first of all, you had all of these, uh, you know, petrol stations or gasoline stations, as it were, popping up all over the country because they realized, oh my God, people are going to be driving. They're going to need some, you know, gasoline. I, I need to provide it for them. And that was a bonus. You also had, you know, the rubber industry producing tires because, you know, tires, problems happen with tires. Still do today. Tires blow out. Tires get damaged. Rims. So you had this tremendous amount of everything from electronics. You know, these people all, it was a massive industry. Still remains so today. It's one of the reasons why whenever we have problems with the automotive industry, there's always this demand to bail people out because it's not just one industry that gets hurt. It's not just selling cars that gets hurt. It's a tremendous amount of knockoff. So you had all of these cars uh, that were getting, you know, put out there and a massive industry sprung up about them. And this is basically called the brass era. And it was called the brass era because so many of the different cars had brass fixtures to them in the United States. Um, uh, in, in England, I believe it's Edwardian era. Uh, but in the United States, you know, definitely uh, the brass era is the appropriate thing. One thing, because I'm from New Jersey, now I'm going to throw this out there. There's a company called Mercer. And they, they built their cars in uh, Trenton. And Mercer is the county that houses Trenton, the state capital. And there's a car Mercer uh, race about. And this car, uh, which is essentially the first sports car ever in America. This car, uh, Jay Leno has a 1913. And by the way, Jay Leno, if you're listening to this, for some reason, on God's green earth, Jay Leno, if you manage to hear this, okay... I would love nothing. I'll fly out there. I just, I just want to sit in the car. Uh, you can drive it. I don't even really need to drive. I just want to drive in it. The the Mercer runabout. There was something on the website pre war cars. There's a, there's a website prewarcars.com, which has cars for sale from all these different eras, which I'm talking about. And they, it was I forget what the amount was for this. There's only about twenty or twenty five of them left in in the world today, but they were 
ferocious vehicles. And I mean, they just, they, they drove at an astounding bit. They drove 120 miles an hour at a time when the Ford Model T was topping out at about 40 miles an hour. But the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the race about a phenomenal vehicle, I would love to just sit in it. I mean, driving it would be something I, I can't even imagine, you know, that being the case. I mean, that's one of these things where I'd probably have to be rich or, you know, um, I know one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite young ladies, Avril Levine, was on Jay Leno's Garage, which is a tremendous show, by the way. If you don't watch it, do yourself a favor. Favor, if you like cars, watch Jay Leno's Garage. He is, first of all, his collection is ridiculous. I mean, it's just <laughs> you just want to be like, you know, if if he was an art collector, he would have original Van Goghs, you know, Monets, Manets, Picassos. You know, all of these guys. He would have the originals of all of them. Um, He's got the cars that are ridiculously rare and tremendous. But anyway, moving on. So then we had an era called the Vintage Era, okay? Uh, The Vintage Era was an era that lasted from about the end of the First World War up until uh, about 1929 when uh, a massive crash on Wall Street and ironically, I don't mean a car crash, uh, a stock market crash heralded the onset of the Great Depression, which, for those of you who my students listening, you know was really not started by the fact that the stock market crashed, the market has crashed before many times. It was started because of bank failures, bank failures that ended up choking off credit and therefore created a major destabilization in the American economy at the time. Um, Yes, that's, that's, look, I'm a historian. I'm going to throw these things out at you guys from time to time. But anyway, um, one of the major things that happened uh, during the uh, vintage era was that cars got bigger. They got bigger. They'd have V8 engines, V12 engines, V16 engines. You had hydraulic brakes. You had tempered glass running boards. Um, cars became beasts, okay? They became tremendous uh, vehicles, in, in fact, Cadillac at one point uh, put out a V16. A V16, my God. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine it. I've seen V8s, you know. I've seen V8s. Um, I used to sell cars. I used to sell cars. I used to sell uh, Ford, Dodge, and Kia, and, and used cars of different makes, but primarily as far as new cars go. And, you know, I used to see the V8 Mustangs, okay? Um, the, you know, the ferocious engines, but a V16, I mean, I couldn't even imagine what a V16 would look like, okay? I mean, this is great Gatsby-level stuff. And as I've talked about um, on my Instagram, at Antonius Optimus, uh, Great Gatsby is one of the books where I actually finished the book and I closed it and I was just like, man, I I really just didn't like anyone in this book. Like, I, I wasn't, with a lot of books, you, you end the book and you feel for someone. You're like, oh, this person, you know, the, the, this or that, you know, you finish, you finish 1984 and you feel terrible for Winston Smith because you're like, my God, you know, he, he, he fought the good fight. He tried and he, he beat down, you know. Uh, you, you finish the Count of Monte Cristo. You, you feel for, you know, Edmond Dantes. 
you know, there are characters you feel for. There are characters you hate, okay? There are characters you feel for. The Great Gatsby, I kind of finished the book, and I was just like, man, I really just have no sympathy for anyone in this entire book. If you feel the opposite, um, please do let me know. Fire away at me. Again, Instagram, uh, you know, talk to me on, on the Anchor app, at Antonius Optimus, all that good stuff. Uh, I can take DMs on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I finally figured out how to do that. But um, in the 1920s, you know, you had these cars with huge, huge, um, you know, the, the hoods because they had to house these major engines. Uh, and the luxury levels, oh, the luxury levels, Rolls Royce coming out there, all, all of these things, you know, that, that started putting cars out, Alfa Romeo, Bugatti, I mean, the names are the names of, of cars, of, you know, of, of history. Um, and then you had what we call the pre-war era. Uh, the pre-war era was basically from the end of the Depression uh, until about 1946, these were when uh, some of the cars that came out, tr- tremendous vehicles, um, one of the cars, ironically, the Volkswagen, which is German. Uh, I, don't, I don't yet have listeners from Germany. I would love that if you know someone in Germany. Tell them to listen to the podcast. Um, you know, then the, the German flag will flash up on my uh, analytics. But uh, the Volkswagen, the people's car, uh, you know, in, in part designed by Herr Hitler, um, you know, who was a no-good person, no question about that. Uh, but the, the Volkswagen, the Volkswagen Beetle, uh, was produced for basically 60 years. Um, a tremendous vehicle and uh, really something that came through. Volkswagen to this day produces quality cars. I mean, I, I have a 2003 Volkswagen Golf diesel uh, in the garage myself, um, it's got almost 200,000 miles on it, uh, but that's because I haven't driven in a while. It, it needs a little TLC to bring it back up to running, uh, but most cars of that age do. But, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to get on that, especially now that I have some time to, uh, to work on things. And then cars moved on to the, the, the post-war era uh, with, with the way that fuel was going. Cars got bigger, and you started having... Um, what we call, you know, the the uh, muscle era of American cars. And in the United States, you, you had in Europe, you had Ferrari. In the United States, you had Ford, you had the Mustang, the, the Falcon. Uh, these cars that basically, especially in the United States, they started just being like, well, listen, how much horsepower can we stack into this baby? Gas was cheap. You weren't really concerned about handling so much. It's just hit on the it only gas pedal and just fly off the line. Um, there, you know, there there are great stories from this time period. Uh, all of the different things, the races, at Le Mans. Uh, you know, Ferrari versus Ford, or is the movie Ford versus Ferrari? I always, I always get these things mixed up in my mind uh, when I haven't seen it for a while. But the bottom line is that you know you you had you know the development of modern cars and then you you really had the modern era which is where cars started coming in the 1970s you had an oil crisis um, that caused people to start focusing on much smaller cars which much better fuel economy you had emissions uh, standards that choked off a lot of the horsepower so you know you ended up having 
these cars with names like Mustang that were basically, you know, I don't want to say secretary's cars because that's a pejorative and, you know, but that's what they call them. But the idea was that it was a car that basically, you know, it, it was no longer just this beast, you know, the Shelby Cobra that you would just, you know, you would unload on. I remember when I was selling cars, I took um, a Cobra. It wasn't a Shelby. It was a, just a Cobra, which was there there, high octane at the time, this is the early 2000s, uh, off to a side road, um, you know, manual transmission, and I'll tell you, I, uh, I was out with one of the guys that I worked with who, who had, had slighted me, now in the old days, this would have been cause for a duel, but we don't do that anymore, I was like, all right, let me show you, so we took the Mustang out there, and the Cobra, I forget, I think it had something like 390 brake horsepower. But anyway, what happened was, he was like, all right, we were on the straightaway. He was like, let me see what you got. So I, I put the engine in the high gear. I, I revved it uh, in neutral, and then I dropped it into first. And what happened was, because it had the anti, uh, you know, anti-slip stuff, so basically the back wheels just started bumping. So it was like, bup, 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 bup. We were bouncing, and then all of a sudden they caught, and we were launched forward. Like, I, I mean, I'm lucky I didn't suffer serious whiplash. We were launched forward, and I mean, the tachometer, I mean, the, the rev started just flying towards the red zone. And I immediately dropped it down to second, threw it into third. Um, it didn't have much more room than that because I mean, we didn't have a, you know, it wasn't a drag strip or anything. But the bottom line was, you know, and afterwards he actually acknowledged. He was like, holy crap, you really, uh, you really took that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I, I know how to drive cars, okay? And I just have, I was, I've always loved it, you know, manual transmission when you actually have to change the shifter. Um, you know, it, do, it does put you into tremendous control of the car because you feel the car a lot more. And today, I know everything today is about you know, automatic transmissions, um, either if you want, today most cars are automatic transmissions, but they have paddles, uh, any sports cars have paddles, so on the side of the steering wheel, so you can, you can shift using them, upshift, downshift, um, you know, some of them have the automatic transmission where you can push the, uh, the gear shifter to one side and then press down or up, you don't actually have to row as they call it, you know, back in there, you don't have to actually slot it in and you certainly don't have to use uh, the clutch, you know, um, as you used to have to in the, in the old days. Uh, but there's something about that, you know, there's something about cars that, you know, just this feeling of it. And that's, that's the thing I think that gets me, uh, about the oldest cars. When I watch them, like I said, you know, you watch these guys that own 1920 cars, you know, own a 1920 Ford, own a 1918 something or other, um, you know, a 1913 Mercer, you know, you, you had to really, it was like, all right, now we're going to, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, increase the fuel air mixture before we start things up. You know, I mean, it's, just, you had to pour a little, a little gasoline into the, uh, you know, almost the, the, the pistons in order to get things running. Um, you know, something else, you know, these cars were just raw. They were raw and they were just, it was this, you know, you were sitting almost on the road. I mean, with, with the, the high wheelers, you were sitting up. But it was still this idea that, the, you know, running the car wasn't just about pressing a pedal down. Okay? You had to really work on it. 
And I think that that's something today uh, that we've, we've lost in some ways. I mean, some cars are better than others. You know, I mean, they, they give you more of a feel. Um, you know, today, unfortunately, most, uh, most cars are built for practicality, okay? So you have, you have on the one end, you have your, your racing cars, something like a Toyota Supra. You know, your your Ferraris, you know your Lamborghinis, your your you know uh, what's the Lexus the, uh, um, oh goodness I can't remember off the top of my head, um you know but your your Jag F types your cars that are designed for just pure speed pure speed and just handling and you know you, that's what you want, and then on the other hand you've got your cars, you know, you've got your Mercedes S types you know which just you know you're you're ensconced in luxury from the moment you sit in you're you're bathed in leather and barreled wood and and all this other stuff um you know your BMW 7 series as opposed to your BMW M5s you know, one of the greatest Jeremy Clarkson once said you know but he was comparing a Jag um it's an XFR I believe to uh to an M5 and you know, and he said, "I'm not going to say for a moment that it's better than an M5, but it's as good as." And praise doesn't get any higher than that. Is a BMW generally considered in many cases as the highest level? So you've got you've got the the two ends, but most people are just like, yeah, "I'll take a Honda Civic, Toyota Corolla, the greatest selling car of all time." They want these cars because they're pragmatic. They get great fuel economy. They're cheap to repair if you need to. Getting an oil change, you do it for under 50 bucks. If you do it yourself, even less. Um, you know, and they'll go for 200,000 miles before you have to worry about anything. And I get that. I do. I really get that because for most people, driving is just simply a matter of getting from point A uh, to point B. And my mother always used to talk about that. You know, she never cared for cars. She never wanted anything luxurious. She didn't need to have leather and, you know, the the fineries. But for me, myself, I I yearn for a time when cars were something that kind of symbolized who we are as a species. And I, I, I'm not saying that. I know some people probably laugh at this point, but I really mean that. I mean, like, the development of cars, the development of the way that we advanced our technology on them, the way that we, we just, in the beginning, they were just, they were part of who we were. You know, they completely changed the world. The automobile changed the world you know, I mean, the only thing I can really consider that changed the world on the same way as the automobile, maybe two things. One thing, of course, the aeroplane. The other thing, the internet. I mean, can you can you really come up with anything else? I mean, you know, uh, maybe, maybe, and this is, this is going into history, which I'm not going to really get into too much right now, but the railroads, the railroads, okay, I'll give you railroads, all right? Railroads changed the dynamics because it changed uh, the average size that a country could be to be successful because of the ability to ship troops and goods and stuff like that. But really, for the average person, um, aside from the airplane and the internet, 
the automobile. And the automobile changed life in so many ways. I mean, it became the ultimate sense of like, you know, you could you could drive out somewhere. You you could drive out with someone and park somewhere and have a nice chat with that lovely individual over the course of an hour or so, if you were lucky. Um, you know, but you could go places, you go across the country. It it opened doors that you didn't have before. It allowed people in larger countries like the United States to be able to travel from one place to another. Before the automobile, you couldn't go from New Jersey. You could take a train, maybe, but you couldn't just decide, I'm going to drive to New Jersey to Richmond. If there wasn't a direct train there, you know, you, you couldn't go there. You'd have to go one place and then take another place. With the car, you could drive that way. Um, you could drive across the country. You could go from New Jersey to California on your own time, at your own pace. It changed life. It really did. And it continues to. And cars continue with our development of things like electronic cars, you know, cars that, cars that are, uh, you know, that, that are simply electric cars, um, you know, hydrogen-powered cars. We've really, you know, we, we continue to try and push the envelope, okay? And I think that that's a great thing. But I just really hope that we never forget, you know, going back in time, this idea that the automobile is something that I think is as fundamental to the development of us as civilizations as almost anything else out there. And I'll leave you with this uh, you know, tonight, and, and for those of you who are still listening, hopefully many people, um, I will say this. There is, a, there is a commercial, and it's always been, I think, my favorite commercial of all time. And, and I really, you know, I view it right up there with the 1984, the Apple you know, commercial. But it's a commercial, and, and admittedly, <laughs> it's because Marlena Dietrich is also uh, involved in it. And, uh, you know, uh, for her, I would uh, crawl across a football field of broken glass. But um, the bottom line is it's a commercial for Mercedes. And I've never owned a Mercedes. Um, I, you know, I've, I've driven them many times, many, many times. But it's a commercial about Mercedes, and it's set to the background of the song Falling in Love Again. And if you ever get two minutes of time, again, go on the YouTube. YouTube, you know, Mercedes-Benz, Falling in Love Again commercial, Marlene Dietrich, whatever you want to get. It'll come up, the full one. But basically, it, it starts with the beginning of Mercedes and starts with her singing, you know, falling in love again, never wanted to, nothing I could do, I can't help it. And it moves on as you're watching it, as Mercedes is developing, like as it's growing, as the cars, it starts with the, the antiques and then it keeps going more modern, more modern, the races they were in. Um, and eventually, I think the commercial came out in the, the mid-90s. And it ends with showing the latest, um, you know, uh, SL or something like that. 
But the bottom line is, you know, as it goes on, you know, it's showing Mercedes through the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. And it just ends with that. And, and it, everyone's singing at one point, And then it just ends with her. And it is just the most lovely commercial you are ever likely to see um, about a car. And, and it just, it, it, it really does make one, one want to go out and get a Mercedes. I mean, I would, I would really say, um, you know, right up there with those of you who remember from the 90s, the Honda, the car that sells itself. This was one of the most genius, genius commercials of all times and ad campaigns of all times. So go ahead and do yourself that favor. Take two minutes of your time. Believe me, you'll thank me later. You'll thank me later uh, for that one. Anyway, that's it for cars. So uh, just to to finish off, Jay Leno, if you're listening, if anyone listening knows Jay Leno, uh, tell him to to hit me up. I would just, I'd love to come out there and just fawn over his collection for a little while, chat about some of these cars uh, with him. Uh, for a while, uh, it would be tremendous. Uh, if you know Avril Lavigne, tell her I love her. Uh, she's tremendous. Um, I'm glad she's uh, she's back out there. And, and her taste in vehicles is also tremendous, which I always appreciate in a woman. And, um, yeah, other than that, I hope everyone is staying safe and staying at home. And I will hopefully have something uh, new for you coming up midweek, um, probably relating to... Uh, some more political stuff, but you never know. Something else comes up that I like. You know, again, cars, you know, we could do this. As always, any comments, questions, anything, send it out to me. Um, my Instagram, at Antonius Optimus. Um, go ahead and fire stuff over. Until then, take care, be safe, and I will talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.